Hello and welcome to episode 57. You're here with Physique Development, and today we continue on with a bonus episode from our series all about program design. So far in this series, we've broken down different components of program design, training volume, training intensity, training frequency, and training splits, exercise selection, training progressions. And all of those episodes span from episode 47 through episode 51, if you guys are interested in going back and listening through. Today's episode is all about how to manage fatigue across the training phase and training year to maximize your results. So we're talking about fatigue management today, as you probably got that. As we have throughout this entire series, we're going to mainly focus on building muscle and improving body composition. Okay, a little important note as you're listening through this episode. Before we dive into fatigue management, though, and how to implement it, we're going to take a look at a common term. That term is overtraining. Probably hear this echoed quite a bit, and it's usually something of, or it's usually something to blame or someone else blames without really knowing potentially what it even is. So let's go over that really quick. So overtraining is a term used to describe a host of symptoms caused by a lack of recoverability, that ability to recover from stress, most often in relation to training, but it also includes life stress. Said differently, or another way, the stress caused by training and other parts of life causes a decrease in performance and function within the body. Our ability to recover from that stress helps bring our body back to baseline. Now, if we get this equation right, over time, we'll start to recover past our previous baseline, meaning adaptation has occurred. The term overtraining gets thrown around quite a bit, but often without much context, as I mentioned in the beginning. Sometimes overtraining is caused by too much training stress. Sometimes it's caused by a lack of recovery. Our ability to properly program workouts based on the individual, which is what we do here at Physique Development, is crucial to maximizing our ability to push the body while also allowing it to fully recover, ultimately leading down the road toward adaptation. So now that we understand what overtraining is and isn't, we're going to go onward to fatigue management. Did you guys want to add anything to that concept of overtraining before we move on here today? Well, I wanted to say if you've enjoyed this series so far, and if you've enjoyed the podcast, we would love if you could leave a review as well as tell your friends about the podcast. We have really, really enjoyed the podcast and the reviews really help us out. So we would love to hear what you think about the podcast. And subscribe. <laughs> yeah, hit subscribe. To everyone listening, I was supposed to pause uh, after the intro of this podcast and I absolutely flopped and <laughs> did not do that. So please subscribe if you haven't already, if you guys are a, a listener or have gotten here through a recommendation. And if you guys have enjoyed the podcast, we really, really do appreciate a review. As Andrew Santino would say, it helps with the algorithm. <laughs> I love how he says that. <laughs> All right. So let's crack into fatigue management the main, main topic of today's episode. So fatigue management is a set of tools we can use to ensure we are pushing the body enough during our workouts, but not overdoing it. So managing fatigue throughout your training sessions, your training weeks, and throughout your training career can be crucial for maximizing muscle and strength alongside lowering the risk of injury over time. Things to manage in this category include managing proximity to failure, which is typically gauged by reps and reserve, denoted by RIR, and rate of perceived exertion, denoted by RPE, in your training sessions. The next one is rest periods. 
the time taken between sets or an exercise, auto-regulation, usually referring to a concept of adjusting your training based off feel or load, and deloads, referred to as a light week. Now, I'm going to have Alex go through each one of these and break them down into more bite-sized pieces to give it a little bit more context. That way you can sort of take something from these tools in our tool belt of fatigue management. So take it away, Alex. Absolutely. So these are these are terms that I'm sure many of you have heard and potentially utilize within your training, but maybe you're not super familiar with what they even mean. So let's go ahead and get started with the proximity to failure or the RIR or RPE allotments. This is a number range that represents many reps or how many reps you have left in the tank until hitting failure for a given set. This is something that is a a acquired tool. It's not something that you're going to get into the gym for the first time and be like, I know exactly what my RPE for that exact exercise is. It's more so going to be something that over time you're able to understand and take sets to failure to understand where that proximity lies. It is a research-based way to manage fatigue and keep you progressing and away from injury. It is often represented in programming on a scale of one to 10, and that correlates to the RPE specifically. So if you were to have an RPE of eight, for example, that would be two repetitions away from failure. And if you were to utilize RIR, it would be the opposite. So zero would be failure. And so you'd be going that direction specifically. When we speak to rest periods, rest periods are the time taken between sets during your exercise. The length of time that is taken between sets is going to be dependent on your training goal and should ensure that you're giving yourself enough time to recover based on the specific training demands. So this is something that many clients of ours struggle with in terms of if <laughs> they finish a set and then it's like, well, I've got to you know check my text and then I've also got to go grab the next dumbbells. Now I'm starting my rest period. No, no, no. It is. It starts from the time that the previous set was completed and then goes from there. So so don't be adding a, an extra minute or three or six to talk to your uh, gym crush or something along those lines. And don't skip them either to yeah, just go into them. the next one because you feel like you need to keep your heart rate up. Yeah, that's the, the flip side of things. Speaking to auto-regulation, auto-regulation refers to the concept of adjusting your training based on the feel of the load on any given day. For example, if you're not feeling great heading into the gym and the first couple sets you do seem heavier and more fatigued than normal, adjust and make that session a little bit easier. The aim of auto-regulating workouts allows for you to have a more in individualized approach day to day within your training, hopefully keeping you motivated and healthy to continue training and away from injury. This is something that is, again, going to be an acquired skill. You're not going to be able to go into your first training session and put yourself in a situation where you're like, I don't know, this seems kind of heavy. And then just start to decrease the volume allotments that are for that specific day. This is something that if you are a new trainee, it's going to be best that you're working alongside a coach to get this figured out and understand where the threshold's supposed to be. So you have a good idea of what volume is manageable, what volume is not manageable. And this is really important when it comes down to customization of program design for you as the individual. The next thing is deloads. Deloads refer to a light week or a back off week from training where you're training at the minimum amount of volume needed to maintain the muscle that you have or the strength that you're trying to maintain. The purpose is to facilitate the recovery needed for you to return back to a state where you can 
do hard training again. So this is something where maybe you're having an allotment of, of greater soreness or your sleep is being hindered, or maybe you've got some things going on in your life that are increasing stress away from the gym that is necessary for us to utilize something that's manageable within your training to decrease the overall stress on your body. Because as we've talked about throughout this training, stress is cumulative, whether it be from your personal life, whether it be from the training, whether it be from mental stress, all those different factors, training is one that we can can control. So it's going to be advantageous to utilize deloads during different times within your life. Um, when implementing deloads proactively, when starting out strength training or after a long layoff period can be helpful for reducing accumulated fatigue reducing the risk of injury and the likelihood of training plateaus. So when implemented properly, we can see so much growth long-term. It's one of those things where it could be two steps back to catapult yourself eight steps forward. It stinks sometimes in the moment where you're like, I want to train super duper hard, but the reality is, is that your body's not in a place to do so. So taking that step back just for a week or maybe two weeks is going to allow for you to really excel forward for months to come. Now let's dig into some questions. Sue, what role have deloads played in the progress of your clients uh, throughout the years? I mean, deloads are ginormous. Oftentimes people think you just go train, 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 train. And they think that any time off of the plan is them off track. And I have clients that I will tell, hey, take X amount of days off of training. And they will even be like, well, I took this amount of time off training, even if it's in the plan. So deloads, you do want to be proactive because when you are in the point where you're having to be reactive, you oftentimes have to extend that deload much longer than if you were proactive. So you don't wait until someone's dragging in the mud to give them a deload. You see when they start to drag and then you're like, okay, we need to go ahead and implement this deload. So within deloads, some reasons to implement, and I know we've talked about some, but one is going to be to desensitize to a particular stimulus. So this can either be from changing the stimulus and that can be considered a deload or taking that time off or having a lighter week. Because when you subject your body to the same stimulus for too long, it'll decrease at the rate that your body adapts over time. So by implementing a deload within training or changing the training stimuli, then you can see a lot more benefit to continue to see that progression forward. Another really important thing for my clients are going to be for inflammation reasons or nervous system recovery or mental health, um, or just looking at where they're at within their life. Or if a client's coming and they need to establish a baseline. So if someone's coming to me and they haven't been training and kind of doing a mixed bag of things, we might need to bring them into a deload to see where their baseline is so that I'm not having to take into consideration a million different variables within them coming to me. I'm able to take one variable off of the table within training. But that mental health reason, I mean, it's not always that someone comes to a place where they're at the point that they need a deload because their body can't handle it. It might be that they mentally need a release from get, getting to the gym and being in that routine. And so that's something really important to be able to take into consideration if someone has a very high stress thing going on in their life. So I've had a few clients that have just recently moved or they've had big life events and I've been like, we're taking a deload this week. And they're like, well, I, I'm like, I'm going to lose progress. And I'm like, 
Well, you're going to stress yourself out more by trying to get to the gym and trying to fit it in your schedule during this extremely stressful time already than the benefit of just taking that time away from the gym as a whole. So it's allowed my clients to see much more progress forward, and it's allowed them to understand the benefit of not pushing all the time. We've talked about this multitude of times, but there is a time to push and there's a time to pull and there's a time to stand still. And so knowing the difference between those as a coach and as the client, because you need to be able to auto-regulate in that is an acquired skill, like Alex said, it's being able to understand those metrics and to understand your body more to know when you need a break. So for example, recently wasn't a full deload of, oh, we're taking weeks off, but um, Alex gave me three rest or two rest days in a row and three refeeds in a row because he knew I needed it going into this push instead of just push me into the ground, he was like, all right, let's get a few days under us so that we can rest and then push that forward. And I'm going to be able to push a lot harder than if he would have just drugged me through the mud um, along the whole way. So I would say deloads have played an extremely important uh, role. And as far as how I implement these, I will either do, again, like a shorter session or break down their training days. So if they're normally in the gym four or five days, maybe I have them in the gym three days and we're doing a full body workout. Or my favorite way to do it is to really prioritize other parts of movement. So going on walks outside or doing yoga are huge things that I always push forward. And clients of mine are probably like, yep, she's told me to do that on my deload weeks instead of going to the gym um, and being able to focus on something else during that time. So I often tell clients, sometimes it's not possible, but I'll say like, hey, during this time that you would have been going to the gym, I need you to really do something for yourself during that time. So don't try to schedule something else in. Don't try to be productive during that time, so to speak, as far as like everyone thinks of being busy as being productive, but be productive in the way of your showing up for yourself during this time. So I, I like to implement them a few different ways, but they are so extremely beneficial. And I do want to pop a question over to you, Alex, because I feel like you do this a lot for yourself. Um, when we're looking at auto-regulation, how, how do you even implement that? I know that's a very loaded question, but let's take, for example, how you've recently implemented it within your training and within where your stress levels are. Yeah. Um, with auto-regulation, I think that, as I said, within the initial cues, it's something where it is a learned trait in general. And so I will say early on, it was something that I did a horrible job at. It was something where uh, Austin and I can both agree that we would just go balls to the wall every training session, whether we had uh, worked all day and, you know, in a caloric deficit, all these different factors, there was no auto-regulation to that training uh, back then. And so now, especially with the the stress levels, and, and it's different now because I have a lot of, uh, it's more it's not as much physical stress as it once was when now it's more of like a, a mental stress and, and those different factors uh, that I take on. And so now, especially when I have long work days within check-ins and meetings and those different factors, being able to take a step back and understand that maybe today is not the day that I train. Maybe today is a day that I just do cardio. I take the dogs on a walk. Um, I do some stretching. Uh, shout out to Taylor, our, a massage therapist who's on me every single day. Shoot me a text. Hey, have you stretched today? Uh, <laughs> and then his wife adds on yeah, top of it. And then Sue's on top of that. Um, so those different factors, I think that the implementation is a, it's something that you're not going to have right all the time. You're going to have circumstances in which you, uh, 
call it at the right time and it was it was perfect timing and then there's going to be times where it's like in hindsight i probably shouldn't have trained today or in hindsight i probably should have trained today i was being a little soft and i probably could have gotten through it at least a session that was modified right so i think that there's uh, some give and take and it's one of those things just as you would treat like a, a free meal or an intuitive day within your nutrition where if you're going to do that there's going to be circumstances that you do a great job and there's going to be circumstances where it was a learning experience and you're going to take that moving forward so it's going to be something that's always a, a chronic progression and so i think that's the useful tool of it all yeah and understanding that it is a progression and that you are going into the situation knowing that, hey, I'm going to learn something from this. I'm either going to learn I hit it on the head or I didn't, and I'm going to take that information and move forward with it. Because you also do it as far as your training where just the other day, Adam sent over new training and you're like, I cannot do this new training right now. I'm going to do a day of my old training or I'm going to throw something together because like, I know if I do this to myself, it's not going to be good. Yeah, that man can, uh, he can program some pretty gnarly sessions that I'm just not prepared for in the context of like, I'll be working all day and maybe he sends it over at like midday. I don't get to see it until I'm about to go into the session. And I haven't mentally prepared myself. I will say that anyone who's listening, who's had the opportunity, um, who's had, yeah, it's just a, an incredible opportunity to work with Adam in the first place, but has had the opportunity to work with him, you know that the sessions are like, you have to kind of mentally prepare yourself. I, as I go through my schedule, I know what days I can even hit these sessions. Like there's some of the lower body sessions that I'm like, I can't do a whole lot of work on the day that I'm training that lower session because I am one going to be eating a copious amount of food following that session, but also the neurological effect or the the brain power that some of these lower sessions take out of me because I have like no breaks when it comes to legs um, is a, a challenging feat in and of itself. I'm like laughing because <laughs> Alex says like, if you know Adam, he can really program some gnarly sessions. I'm like, if you know you, <laughs> like I get well, buried and I'll be like, oh, I can't do that session until later in the day. And I'll be like, well, you like it better when you train earlier in the day. I'm like, I'm toast after the session. Like I'm not a working member of society after this session. <laughs> well, the two people I talk the most about programming with are Austin and Adam. So in terms of the the three of us, there's some pretty <laughs> nasty sessions that can and be. And then I get to be the test yeah, subject for true. a good chunk of that. You get to be the test subject for, for Adam. Adam yes. I'll be Adam the test subject for everyone a lot else. Of very silly things. I'm like, this is a little bit too far, man. <laughs> Yeah, Adam gets Adam gets a little rambunctious with things at times. He gets a little, uh, as as he would say, he gets a little cute with it. Um, and yeah, he's he's incredibly skilled at at getting cute with training and, and essentially burying you. But one one point I wanted to bring up, essentially with talking about deloads, talking about auto regulation, talking about all these things, to play devil's advocate on deloads a little bit here, you know, one be with a lot of clients that I work with, you know, they're, let's say, 30s, 40s, 50s, sometimes in their 60s, and already kind of intermittently train as is, right? And they may only be training two times a week, three times a week, four times a week. And, you know, they may stream together three weeks where they're training three, four times a week, and they do really well. And they're, they're pushing the envelope, and they're being, quote unquote, buried a little bit, they're being really challenged. But there's also times where weeks go by where they'll check in and say, hey, I only got to train two, two times this week out of the four days that we kind of had programmed. Now, over a course of three to four weeks, if that's something that persists and is, stays intermittent, I'm not actually going to probably plan a proactive deload for them, right? And so for, 
you know, I, I think deloads are something that really are context dependent on the person, right? Whether you're talking about an athlete who shows up, you know, we're talking about, let's say you guys here who are showing up and just burying yourself day in and day out, right? I do that at times. Uh, <laughs> I may crank that back up, who knows? Now that I'm in the physique development training app, honest to God, my back and today, like even leaving my session yesterday, my quads were torched. Yeah. <laughs> they were thrashed. And I was like, I had that feel, like a feeling I haven't had in such a long time of like, I'm actually nervous for tomorrow morning. <laughs> And I'm nervous for tomorrow's session because I know I'm going to have to to RDL. I know I'm going to have to do seated leg curl, which I'm going to have to smash that pad into my quad, which I'm a little nervous about. And honestly, at this point, I'm just going to do a lying leg curl instead. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we already know that's true. Yeah. Auto-regulation uh, the, right there. <laughs> that's auto-regulation right there. Exactly. So it's, it's taking something where you're like, hey, it's either I don't do this at all or I do something adjacent to this and get some work done. And hey, I'm gonna do whatever's adjacent to that, which is the lying leg curl to the seated leg curl there. And, but with the deloads, I, I think this is important. So if you're a listener and let's say you you're a client of ours or you have a coach of some kind, or you are a coach and you have, you or your client is training consistently, consistently hard, consistently progressing, consistently pushing the envelope, you need to be a little bit more proactive within your periodization and your planning of deloads. Mm-hmm. But when you have someone who is a little bit more intermittent, their goals are a little less so than, or a little less ambitious, let's say, to the athlete who may, may be competing or competing in an athletic sport, things become a little bit more reactive, right? You tend to plan things a little less in terms of deloads for those people who are training a little bit less or less intense. And honestly, to kind of cap this off, life in a lot of ways kind of takes care of deloads for a lot of people. So, you know, you'll be training hard for three weeks, four weeks, five weeks, six weeks, you, you name it, whatever that progression is and however that biofeedback is looking at the time. And then they, they go out, you know, they go on a long weekend with their family or they go on vacation. And that one proactively is already a good time for you as a coach to say, hey, we're just going to use that week. I know you're going away that week. So let's push until that point. Right. Because I know you're not going to train. I don't need to be pressured to train while you're away. And so that's a really great way to do it. And, you know, speaking of deloads, vacation is deloads uh, arrive in all parts of our life. Vacation is a life deload. Diet breaks are nutritional deloads. Right. And the deloads we're talking about more specific today are training deloads. Right. We have a t we have deloads that that pop up in all parts of our life because we have to we have to de-stress. Right. We only have so much bandwidth. We only have so much will to keep pushing our physiology past the point of our brain saying, dude, relax. I need time to recover from this or else I'm just going to continue to break down time and time again. And I'm going to get sick. I'm going to, I'm going to get injured. And our training performance is either going to stall or even start to go down. Right? So deloads are context dependent. If you can take anything from that, and it's something that you need to take into consideration, whether for yourself or for your clients. Yeah, I absolutely love that you mentioned all that because I was going to mention vacation as well. Of uh, That's a very great time to take a deload. And it's also something where we've said it, but that outside stress matters. If you are in a place where you're like, well, I feel like training wise, it's all good, but you are 
constantly stressed. You don't take time to wind down at night. You're eating your food super fast, so you're stressing your digestive system, plus probably pushing yourself too much in the gym on top of outside stress. And if you're a coach or a a client or you train yourself, you might be like, I feel like I need to take time off more frequently from training. That very much could be the case due to the other circumstances in your life. So really being able to look at all of this full picture is where you're going to get it. You're not going to get just a snippet here and be like, okay, when this exact thing happens, that's when I should implement a deload. It is going to be a little bit more of either some planning involved or, again, being able to be auto-regulating that or being reactive to it of saying, oh my gosh, I've pushed myself too far. I need to take a little bit of time or I need to really rearrange my schedule so I have time to wind down so that I can get better sleep, so I can train at this volume that I want to. And I think another thing is being self-aware with deloads, is that if you're an individual who struggles abundantly to go in the gym and not go balls to the wall, it may just be a better option for you to take the full week off and do things in that time slot that you'd be going to the gym, like Sue spoke on of going to do yoga or doing other modes of of activity that are still going to keep you physically active, but not going to have you resistance training. There's a lot of other things you could do, go play basketball, um, going on hikes, those different factors. So if you are someone who really struggles to go in there and not be like RPE 10, hit the <laughs> gas, pedal to the metal, I've been there, I get I it. I don't know anyone who's like that at all. <laughs> So never met anyone like that. Yeah, I, I don't know anyone like that. So if you feel as though that's you, then taking the full week off is not going to be the end of the world. It may just be something where if you do take the week off, you may have to start at a lower volume allocation the week that you do come back relative to someone who would still be resistance training over that one to two week period during the deload. So understanding that it's going to be a little bit lower volume when you do get back, but you'll be able to get back to how you like to train of just like getting after it. Yeah, and I want to go back really quick before we move on uh, to talk more about rest periods here. I wanted to go back to something that Alex mentioned and Sue uh, sort of busted his balls about. But it's it's a, it's a concept of being self-aware, as Alex just mentioned, of if your sessions, and this is something you need to be self-aware for yourself and also self-aware enough to mention this to your coach if you have, if you have a coach or a trainer. If your sessions time and time again If you're someone that's already struggling with motivation to get into the gym and your sessions time and time again are that of now Alex a little different here because he loves to train and he doesn't have a motivation issue. But when let's say when Adam sends over his workouts and he looks at those and he goes, there's only certain days that I could even have the mental capacity or physical capacity to even do those training sessions. I feel like I have to do a lot of preparation to even get in and, and maximize those sessions. You know, for Alex, that's something where I think he eats that up. But for someone who already struggles with motivation to be even to even get into the gym, and now we have a session or a series of sessions or your entire phase, for that matter, that's built upon you already stressed out before you even get in the gym. You're already like, I don't even think I can go to the gym this week because I don't have the energy to do half of this workout. Right. And that's where individualization comes into play. There's all these landmarks. There's all this research that we talked about throughout the program design series, which is great. We're here to teach you guys what those sort of foundations and fundamentals are. But when it comes down to it, it doesn't matter if 14 sets per week are going to be optimal for muscle growth for this person. If eight sets per week creates a consistency and a motivation for this person to show up and train 
and train hard and challenge themselves and progress over time, then dude, it's going to be eight sets a week until we create that. And then we can start to add on to that, right? So if you're someone that struggles with motivation, start small and maximize that, right? Great. And if you're someone who, yeah, so go ahead, Sue. I don't, I don't <laughs> need to expand anymore on that, honestly. I honestly, I, I, just, I was going to repeat myself. So. <laughs> I was going to say great point because it is of just that. But you also, as the client, know that there is responsibility on your end to talk on this. And we talked about it either in my prep update, I believe, um, that we did two episodes ago, where I take fault in my past coaching relationships of not speaking up on things, of not saying like, hey, I'm too run down or I'm tired because I didn't want to seem soft or I didn't want to seem weak or I didn't want to seem like I was uncoachable and I couldn't follow the plan. But being able to vocalize things, and I always try to make sure clients know, hey, if this is too much, I need to know. If you are mentally struggling, I need to know because I don't know what I don't know. So you do have a responsibility as a client to vocalize those things because as much as I can be self-aware as well as have the knowledge of implementation within clients, I can't read your mind and I don't know how you're feeling on a day-to-day -day basis. And I, I cannot know what your life is like unless you tell me. Yeah. I think it's a great point there. So let's, um, and within that too, like being truthful, right? We're here to, as, as coaches, we're here to help you. You've hired us to take this off of your plate. We're professionals at taking things off of people's plates and creating an individualized approach to fit your life. But if you lie about your life, we're going to fit that to a false narrative that you're telling either yourself or us. So you need to have some self-awareness. You need to be honest with yourself and us as coaches. And that's what creates the recipe for success. We're not going to think less of you. We're not going to think you're, you're, you know, X, Y, and Z ins inserts the, uh, the adjective there. It's just that you need to be honest and, and more self-aware. Okay. To maximize your coaching experience, to maximize your training experience, and to honestly just maximize your life, which sounds like draw. the most <laughs> cliche thing I could say right now, but it's true. All right, let's dig into rest periods. All right, so Alex, in terms of rest periods, what role do you see these playing in someone's approach to training? And more specifically, how do you use that approach with clients? Yeah, uh, rest periods are going to play a massive role. Shocker, I know. Um, so within rest periods, we talked about it uh, being specific to the training stimulus or what type of response we're looking for within the training. And so depending on if the individual is is having a more strength-based emphasis, we may have a longer rest period. If we have something more hypertrophy-based, it's going to be more of a moderate to potentially long. And then we have potentially that's something more endurance-based that's going to be shorter. We're challenging them from a cardiovascular perspective. So it allows for us to undulate the training to the specific goal that we have. And this is something that we kind of utilize as deloads and something we'll probably touch on within the 201 series of this um, podcast series as a whole is how we utilize them, uh, different training stimuli to not have to necessarily back off entirely, but allow for us to continue to make progress in different facets of how we can progress um, within those three metrics. And so within the rest periods, it's a very valuable tool as well as it keeps the, the client engaged. I think that this is a big thing that many clients run into or individuals who are not 
our clients necessarily, but they are coming to us and those different factors where they haven't had rest periods prescribed. Maybe it's just been, they've been sent a Word document that has five exercises that is like four sets of eight, four sets of eight, 10 set or four sets of 10 and so on and so forth. <laughs> 10 sets of 10. <laughs> You never know. Uh, never know. And there's no rest period. There's no tempo. And so it's very uh, up to your, uh, I guess, interpretation. interpretation of what that training means. And so within physique development, we do our absolute due diligence of laying out every possible variable that would be questioned within your training, within the uh, exercise execution. We have the the reps, the sets, the sets to failure, the RPE or the RIR for the sets outside of the set to failure, the tempo allocations, the rest periods. Those are very valuable tools within your training that you need to know to maximize the results that you're wanting to attain. And so within those rest periods, it's just a, a very valuable tool that we use to make it as specific to the individual. And also those rest periods change as we get more data for that person, because we may find that they have a better response within different rest periods, provided that they're following it properly mm -hmm. um, within different types of training. So that's the beautiful thing within physique development is that as we collect more data on the client, it allows for us to get better and better and more specific to that individual. For the individual who I have programmed for for maybe three months relative to an individual like Sue, where I have roughly four years of data collected. Now, the front end of that data is probably not super valuable, right? Mm -hmm. I've gotten much better at programming. She's gotten much better at execution. But I will say that the last year of data, year and a half, is very valuable to be able to see, okay, this is kind of the response that we've had here. This is the kind of progress that we had with the physique photos, the biofeedback. We can make some adjustments and use this as kind of our uh, base to make better programs programming for you specifically. Yeah. And we mentioned this even in the like what to know as a first time competitor of working with your coach beforehand. And this is one of the reasons for doing that. But within rest periods, I mean, that's exactly how we periodize training is the rest periods are a huge part. If you were to give me a training that like, let's Take, for example, like my last training was neurological training, and now I'm in metabolic training. If you gave me those exact same training layouts and didn't give me any rest periods for them, it's a completely different stimulus, again, up to my interpretation. And so the rest periods also give you a little bit of uh, info on what weight you should be selecting. Because as you go through the different phases, and especially if you are a client of physique development or of the PDTC, that is something that you are seeing, oh, this rest period is two minutes. That means I'm probably doing strength-based work here. So you can use process of elimination to figure that out, but it's also going to be in the name of the training and we are going to send over an explanation, but that can always be a little note to you. And it can also be something that I recommend and we'll have a video coming out on the importance of keeping a training log, but it also helps to know what length of session it's going to be before you even do it, of being able to see, hey, okay, these exercises all have these rest periods in it and I'm going to need to set up for this exercise and this, this, and this. All right, this is roughly going to take me an hour and 15 minutes just straight off the bat. So they can be extremely insightful if you let them be. And if you're neglecting rest periods, you are completely neglecting a whole side of training that might be the reason that you're not seeing progress. Sue's very passionate about that, it seems. Uh, I'm passionate <laughs> about all of the aspects of training that people just will be like, progressive overload, just keep lifting more. Yeah, And it's like, that. that's not just what it is. It's not just about lifting more weight. Or I'll have clients that'll be like, 
well, this session didn't seem that hard. And it's like, well, it if you executed it the way that it was supposed to and the way that I outlined it, then it was going to feel a little bit of a different way. Or I'll have clients during metabolic training saying, I feel weaker. Well, you should, because I don't expect you to be able to lift the same am- amount of weight with a third of the rest and more reps, as well as it being a superset. So the more that you can understand that, the more that you're going to not only see progress within training, but the more that you're going to be able to give grace to yourself. Because I used to be like, well, I'm getting weaker. I'm weak. No, I just train change training stimuli and I have to be aware of these variables. And that gave me a lot of peace within training of having better training sessions because I understood them better. Yeah. And to that point of rest periods that, that Sue just mentioned of, hey, I felt like this session was super easy. And depending on the load lifted based off that rest period could have been super easy. And so my my thing with rest periods and something I tell clients all the time is <clears throat> if you feel as if you don't need to rest in between sets, you didn't use enough load. You didn't use enough intensity in general, right? And intensity going back to, I think, episode two of this series, going over percentage of weight used, so the intensity of, of load, and the intensity of effort, right? So if you find yourself, there's rest period prescribed and there's a rest period prescribed that's beyond 15 to 30 seconds. So basically not a rest period. It is a rest period, but kind of, you know, not. If there's like a minute long, 75 second, 90 second rest period programmed and you get done with that exercise and you're like, I don't even need a rest period. I'll, I'll just do another set. You did not use enough effort you did not use enough intensity of load within that set because it's proven because I promise you, as soon as you do use the intensity of load and effort that we're asking of you, you're going to be wishing for a rest period. You're going to ask for longer rest periods. Mm-hmm. You'll be like, hey, this actually sucked. Could I have longer rest period? And it's like, no, because this is the adaptation we're going for. Welcome to the ballpark. Welcome to the game. <laughs> yeah. Now we're playing, you know? So that's the thing with rest periods. If you feel like you don't need one, you need to train harder. Point blank. Yeah, there's a there's a superset in my current training. Just to give you guys an example, um, I have back squats followed by leg extensions, and so from the back squats into my leg extensions, I have 15 seconds from back squats Good into the night. leg, and then the leg extensions, I have a minute 10. So in that context, I am about, I mean, I'm on the verge of passing out at the first set. I've got four of them. So (laughs) (laughs) that's one of those phases that, especially when you're pairing lower body exercises, that is a, uh, like a superset that those rest periods are immensely valuable. And most of the time for that superset, the last two weeks that I've had it, I have just sat in the leg extension, just like closing my eyes and deep breathing and hoping that I feel as though that my heart rate is enough down to be like, I can get into the squat rack without potentially Uh, throwing up. So that's, (laughs) and that's what I've reported to my coach every week. So when you have those scenarios, report that to your coach and then maybe they'll respond like Adam and laugh, or they'll have some sympathy for you. (laughs) And say, we'll go ahead and change that. (laughs) Not likely. Let's talk about something that extends, I think right alongside rest periods. And that's going to be RPE, our exertion, our, our perceived exertion throughout our 
our programming throughout our sets and, and each exercise or RIR so that those reps in reserve. So after each set, it's kind of like after, you know, it's after a set of 10, you rack the weight and you think to yourself, how many reps could I have done before hitting failure? Right. Or a scale of one to 10, how hard was that set? Eh, maybe a seven or eight, right? It's sort of that pain scale at the doctor that they ask. It's like out of one to 10, how's your pain? Kind of like that, right? So in terms of RPE or RIR, how is that played into your client programming, Sue? And how are you utilizing that either with yourself as an athlete or with your clients uh, in their programming to help them stay within their, their ability to work hard, but not overdoing it? Yeah. So this is something, again, where it helps within variables to limit the variables that are happening. Because when we look at training, there's obviously a ton of variables that can happen. So the more that we can put in a structure or an outline of the variables that are not going to change, the easier it is and the more efficient and better it is. So it's not just easier for us. It literally gets better for us as coaches to be able to program for the clients. So if I have no idea that you're going to failure absolutely every set, every time, then that's going to be something that does not give me good information when it comes to planning your next phase or planning a deload or taking that data and being like, man, I'm surprised this was so much volume for this person. But those failure sets can add on a whole heck of a lot of volume to a training phase. If I have a the same exact training phase, and someone does everything to failure versus someone does nothing to failure, completely different adaptations that that person is getting and completely different stress that's putting on the body, which is also going to change the nutrition that's in play. And so it really helps get a better feel and create a baseline for clients because I know for myself and I know for Alex and Austin as well, I have some clients that will just train bucking hard just point blank. They are hard trainers. They will push. They love to train and they will take themselves into that deep part of their mind and bury themselves in sessions because they just love it. And I'm sometimes that way. And Alex has to tell me, hey, this is freaking RPE 7, like pull it back. And so it's something where it also helps bring, like I said, everyone to a baseline of, hey, this is where I want you for this set so that I can see from this data input, what the output is, and then what I need to change within the input. All of this is a major math equation, plus, of course, your experience and anecdotal things laid into it. But at the end of the day, it's also an equation that you're utilizing. And when we look at any kind of research study, what do they try to do? They try to limit the variables so they're able to truly see at the base of it what is causing what. And so within RP and RIR, it's extremely helpful because, again, I have some clients that will train everything to failure if I don't tell them otherwise, and some that will never even get close to failure ever because they don't know how to push themselves that way. So it allows me as the coach to really make sure that I'm understanding how they're responding to the training. And then it also allows me to manage their fatigue of, hey, let's like not take anything to failure because that's pushing it over the threshold. But I'm really enjoying this training phase and what progress we're seeing, but we just don't need to push it that far. And so it's extremely, extremely helpful to utilize. And every single training program I send out, uh, 
has the RPERIR on it, or I'll note in the email, keep everything to a seven RPE or everything to a this RPE. And I even have a client in peak week right now. And so that's something very helpful if I don't want to accumulate excess inflammation. So she is not taking anything to failure in this week, just as I will not be taking anything to failure within my peak week. Yeah. And I think that utilizing RPE and RIR comes as a progression. So uh, when we look at an individual performing exercises, if they can't execute the movement, the interpretation of the RP and the RIR is not necessarily as valuable of a tool because we're already at a higher risk of injury for the individual not executing the movement well. So once we have the execution in place at that point, then we start to implement the RPE and the RIR that is allocated um, for those exercises specifically. And you also have to have an understanding of what failure truly feels like because more often than not, especially if the individual has never been pushed maybe in an athletic background or they have been pushed through like fatigue and those different factors, as soon as something foreign feel like feeling wise within the, the tissue, they give up. I think that this is something that I talked about uh, abundantly within one of our, our mentorship calls uh, with one of our clients uh, recently is that they have clients where they'll send video and uh, they'll be like, okay, I want you to do an RPE of eight, but then they watch the video and it's like an RP of four. And the reality is, is that that person has no idea what proximity to failure even feels like. And as soon as they have any uh, feeling of burn or, or excess tension, they're like, okay, that's it. I'm done. There, there's no more <laughs> in the tank. Like put the leg extension down. Do not let it, like I need a break. Um, and so understand that when you're assessing this, this is going to be something that, again, is going to take time and you're going to be in a position where each like each year, each month, you're getting better and better at understanding where that threshold is. And when we utilize sets to failure within our training, this is a great tool for the client to understand and a massive tool for your um, note taking within your training journal and those different factors of when you take that set to failure, really note like on the side there of how did it feel? How many repetitions did you get either past the allotted repetitions or how many repetitions did you get under it? Um, those different things so that you can continue to educate yourself on your own body. Um, because understanding those variables allows for you to excel much greater through the training itself. Yeah. There's just so many good points in this podcast where I'm like, I'm so glad that you mentioned that of something that just carries on the conversation. So I'm really loving this one so far. And that's, again, something I talk about in the training journal YouTube video that'll be coming out is that making notes in my training journal has been instrumental in me being able to understand and to give that feedback to myself and to my coach. So being able to write in there, I'll write down uh, what time it is, how many meals I've had, how how much water I've had in place, where my headspace is at. And that's really helpful as well. So I know, hey, if this day was a little bit off or I reached failure a lot quicker, it's due to these variables. And so it just helps cut down as well as helps that understanding. But like you said, it is going to change. So my RPE of 10 from a few years ago versus now, completely different metrics. But it's something where since Alex has worked with me during all of that time, he's been able to see that progression. And when I I talk about I have some clients that'll just train and some that just don't 
know or don't have the desire to train that way, that's something I also take into consideration when I'm working with clients of, oh, I know that when I say this set to failure, that all the other sets are pretty dang close and they're pushing really hard. So I have to undulate that within the training. So it allows your coach to be better at coaching you if they have this information and they see videos from you and you have conversations and you're honest and you're self-aware and you're transparent that's when coaching really works. And so it it can work a lot of other ways, but it like really gets into like the nitty gritty when that happens. Uh, so the better you can become at that, the better your coaching relationship can get as well. Let's dive into what we've done wrong or lessons we've learned in the past. <laughs> yeah. I love this segment because we expose ourselves for the humans that we truly are. <laughs> and we've been there so if you're listening and you're like, I make so many mistakes or said differently, I learned so many lessons in my training that I'm going to change leading into the future. So I'm going to start here with Alex. Out of what we talked about today within overtraining, fatigue management, all of these things, what are some things, let's <laughs> keep it to at least under three yeah. that you have made slash we all have made in the past uh, under this topic? So consistently training, I've had like 12 years under my belt, roughly. And so up until this year, I've probably not been good at all at auto-regulation. It has been something where it's like, I always defaulted to, I'm soft, I should still train. There's, <laughs> there's no reason I shouldn't train and I should train all out every single time, basically up until this year. So I've got uh, four months of, under my belt of doing that correctly. And that's why I continue to reiterate like, hey, if you are, I guess, before year 12 for yourself, <laughs> you've got time to figure out auto-regulation. Uh, that's probably the, the biggest downfall, deloads. Um, that has been a, a learning process for my own training in general. Another thing within auto-regulation to even implement now, with having worked with Adam for the last two years, um, I've had much better deload periodization within my training because someone else has been programming it. Um, but in the context of programming for myself, deloads are one of the harder ones, I believe, to be implemented because you feel as though that you can make adjustments to continue to train hard uh, without fully deloading. And so, whereas I should have just taken a deload and could have been you know, on my merry way instead of continuing to have like this subtle level of fatigue, just like... Like I'm still kind of training, but like I'm still really fatigued. And so that's one of the big things I would say within auto-regulation and fatigue uh, rest periods. We've talked about this on a number of occasions. I would say early on rest periods could be anywhere between 15 seconds and 20 minutes. I mean, it could be anywhere depending on what buddies were in the gym. Was I going to go play one game of basketball or uh, were, you know, whatever it was, they could have ranged all over the place. And I realized also, um, especially early on, it was something where like when we were starting to pick up from a client perspective, that I was going to the gym and it was really the only time I was leaving the house. So then I was having excessively long rest periods because I just wanted to talk to everybody <laughs> and I was having a great time. <laughs> and I'm like, man, I'm at the gym for three hours. The session was not good, but I had great conversation. <laughs> and so it's like, once I figured out, hey, you can get the session done by utilizing adequate rest periods, you stay more focused. And then probably the same people are going to be sitting there talking when you're done and you can actually engage in conversation and enjoy and not have to be like, hey, I got to go do my next set here. Uh, much better uh, utilization of my time. What about you, Sue? Yeah, I think that um, one thing is like when I first started is I just didn't know 
any better. I just was doing what I thought was right. And so with that, I don't don't ever remember having tempo, rest periods, or um, RIR or sets to failure and anything until Alex took over my training in 2017. So it was something that I had trained and been in and out of the gym for uh, not again, in and out of the gym. I was not a serious gym goer much before 2016, 2015. And so it was something that I was just kind of going in there, doing the three sets of eight, and then kind of going on, just kind of sitting there, getting some water, being like, oh, I feel good. I'm going to go pick up those weights. And without with us talking about all of this, I also want to say that if you're listening to this and you're an everyday gym goer and you're like, this seems like a lot of metrics to stay on top of, it is. We're talking about how to optimize things and to do it the PD way, so to speak, as well as alongside the research. So if you're listening to all of this and you're like, that is so much data, that's so many things to keep track of. I just like lifting. That's okay too. But we're talking about optimizing things and how to get the most bang for your buck within that progression. So I think that Austin made a great point earlier on as far as the term overtraining being thrown around. And I think a better term was overstressing um, or under recovering is what happens to a majority of people is that they don't have that self-awareness. They never have checkpoints with themselves. And so they do just either push themselves too far or don't push themselves enough. And so the biggest mistake, so to speak, that I've made has been just not taking time to learn myself throughout this process. And I feel like I am so incredibly in tune with my body at this point. Now, all of these years later, because I, especially the past two or three years, have really focused on myself, learning about myself and being able to be honest uh, with myself and with my coach. And that's where I've seen a lot of that progress is to truthfully take the ego out of the equation as well. So those days where I think, oh, I'm, I'm being soft, I should just not train. Sometimes I still need Alex's permission, so to speak. Now, if we're talking outside of a prep, all of that. Sometimes I'll be like, oh, I'd, I should train today, but I'm so tired and all of this. And I feel like sometimes I have to wait for Alex to be like, then don't train. I'm like, oh, okay, it's okay if I don't train today because I'm taking my life into consideration. So just being able to also listen to my gut when I'm saying, I can't really get a session in because it's going to be a piss poor session and I need that time to recover or to do something else and being able to truly listen to that. Yeah. Great points. I obviously in this segment always echo most of you guys' things because I think there's a lot of there's a lot of things we all naturally do and gravitate towards uh, within our training especially in the early days. And something I you know constantly talk about is this you know, kind of that old adage of like ignorance is bliss. And I think if you're new to training, I, I, I'm really glad, you know, and this may seem a little weird, but I'm really glad I didn't know better mm-hmm. in the beginning. I wish I, I had still so much. Yeah. Right. Like the more you start to learn, <laughs> yeah. and that's the thing is like, the more you start to learn about something, the more you start to dig, you know, break it down into its, you know, separate and or individual components and start to grade each thing. And it's like, well, how was that set? And it's like, Dude, sometimes it just doesn't matter. It's just, did you work hard? Did you feel good during the session? Do you feel good after? Do you feel good the next couple of days heading into your other sessions? If that is a yes, sick, dude. Keep crushing it. Keep showing up. Keep having fun, right? But if those, the answers to those questions are no, I feel like trash. 
I'm stressed out. I'm not sleeping. I'm yelling at my dog for no reason. Like, evaluate your training, bro. Evaluate your stressors. You're probably overstressing your system and causing a lot of other things to start to unfold and show up within your life that don't necessarily need to, right? Because training is here to aid our life and to benefit our life and is one of the most effective ways to lowering the risk of disease and improving the quality of life throughout our lifespan. So it's a tool. It's a fun tool. To some, it's a stupid tool, but they <laughs> know they need to do it. But to say all of that is to say, and to sort of echo what Sue said is, this is a lot to keep in mind. We know this, right? And we repeat that. And if you're someone who just wants to have fun, I think it's good for you to have these things sort of in your subconscious of like, hey, I have a big day at work today. Maybe I shouldn't fall over because of my training <laughs> during my training or after my training, knowing I have a big presentation coming up. Maybe there needs to be some auto-regulation, right? Maybe I need to keep track of where I'm at in terms of failure. Maybe I need to pay attention to my rest periods, right? If I know I have X, Y, and Z coming up, maybe I need to deload before that so I'm at my best mentally. Because the more we tax ourselves, training is extremely taxing from a psychological, emotional, and total just cognitive bandwidth perspective. Training demands a lot of cognitive power. That's something to keep in mind, right? So again, depending on who you are, if you're a young person, and I, I think this is the part of being young, if you're a young person that you're like, hey, I can just train, and it doesn't really matter if I'm like half capacity tomorrow cognitively, I'm just gonna show up and like get through the day. Have fun, man, keep, keep enjoying that. Because that time will run out at some point and you're going to have to have adult responsibilities. <laughs> it's going to run out. Uh, and you're also going to do this thing called aging. And you're not going to be able to crush yourself into not being able to walk at midnight and then get up at 4 or 5 a.m. and then do it all over again before you start work that day. Like it's just there's time. There's times in your life where that's going to be acceptable and there's times in your life where it's not. And you're going to know which side of that fence you fall on, essentially, right? It'd be very obvious. And if you are wanting to have help with your programming, you can inquire to work with Physique Development, and we'll have the inquiry link in the show notes. But we also have talked about it a few times of our training app. So the PDTC, Physique Development Training Club, this is something that if you have either worked with PD and you're like, man, I love that training, but I don't really want to write it myself, there you go. Or if you're just like, I need some help in the way that I'm progressing, we have exercise execution videos on there. We have the cues listed out so you know exactly how to do the exercise. There's assessments after your training so that you can fill that out. And we suggest what training phase you go into next. So it takes a lot of the guesswork out of there. You can also log your training in there. It has a timer so you hit your rest periods. It, it's the whole shebang. And we're about to add in some home training training too. So we'll have three, four, and five day splits as well as home and gym. So definitely check that out. The FAQ page will be in the show notes as well. But I'd love to hear your feedback if you do utilize it. It's something that I am extremely passionate about. I know that these two are as well, but I just see it as the future of the best training apps in the world because we have 
the best training and we know what we're doing and we are going to help guide you within that and always making sure that you're getting a lot out of this as well. So definitely check that out in the show notes, uh, but we'll go ahead and wrap up the episode as well. Any closing statements here, Alex? I don't believe so. You should check out the app, though. The app is pretty cool. And uh, you get, I mean, it is a bargain in terms of the quality of programming that you're going to get at the price point that it is, uh, roughly a dollar a day. So I would highly encourage checking it out. Yeah. And if, in terms of the, the total scope of how many programs are in the app that are potentially there to train within, depending on your goal, if it's trained to if it's going to be to train three times a week, four times a week, or five times a week, whether you're training at home or at the gym, there's 180 total programs crazy. within all of those options, Sheesh. right? And <laughs> we've taken the time and effort to periodize those for you, right? This app exists for the sake of taking the guesswork out of it, right? A lot of you have come to us maybe not being able to afford our one-on-one -on -one coaching quite yet or not be in a position to maximize that experience with us yet. The app is that next best thing. And it's a fraction of the cost. And we wanted least. it to be, <laughs> to say the least, right? And we wanted it to be, we wanted it to be accessible to everyone. So please do go check it out. As we wrap this episode up, if you guys are watching on YouTube, hit us with a comment below. If you guys are still here, we'd love to hear from you. What questions you have, uh, hit the thumbs up, do all the things, subscribe. subscribe. Hit the bell yeah, if you want to be notified on Mondays when they come out and maybe on Wednesdays here too, because we might be coming out with two a week. You never know. You never know. And if you're listening on a podcast platform specific to uh, Spotify and Apple Podcasts that I know for sure, you can leave a review, right? So hit us with a five-star review if you guys enjoyed this. Hit us with a review, a written review if you can, of what you did enjoy, what you've taken from this podcast so far. And if you can, share it with a friend. All right, guys, that's going to be it for this episode. We'll see you in the next one. Hey, guys, Austin here. Thank you again for listening into the episode. It means a lot. If you can, please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave the podcast a five-star review. This does help us grow and be found by others. Also, just wanted to mention, if you guys are interested in free education based around training and nutrition, be sure to check out physiquedevelopment.com backslash free education, where you will find free downloads, videos, articles, etc. No strings attached. Again, thank you. Chat soon.